It's about creating that progression within our relationship. You know, how, how do we interact when we're, when we are in a routine trying to live our lives in parallel? Yeah. And I think, I think it's a, it's a, it's a little scary. Like, I don't know. It's been so nice up until this point that might ruin some stuff, but yeah, I think it's, it's an it's important step. It's kept us in the honeymoon phase for two years, which is great. <laughs> Maybe part of me worries that'll end. I know it'll end someday. Maybe not. You know, people have often asked me about saving marriages, and and my response is always, that's never been a business that I thought I was in. We don't have it that couples staying together is the end point, like the objective in every case. For us, it's about people getting off the fence, getting real about their relationship. So either you're in or you're out and choose, but don't spend 20 years ambivalent. My name is Andy Horning, and this is Elephant Talk. It's a show about all things relationship, the soulful, the silly, the stormy, and the sexy. Today's episode spans the arc from the early stages of relationship with Alex and Zach to later stages of relationship around the tools that marriage counselors use with Michael and Robin. Zach and Alex have been dating for two years and just prior to this conversation, they decided to move in together. They wanted to see if their relationship had long-term potential. They discussed their fears around this next step in their conversation. Yeah, so the first time we met, I was staying with a friend in Boulder. He said, let's do it. I'm having some people over at my house. And I go there, and about an hour later, you show up. You played guitar that night, too. And I think we sang a song or two together. And then I remember keeping you a little bit at a distance, and you were writing on my Instagram, <laughs> inviting me to go swimming in the in the creek after work. I think after a couple weeks, I thought, okay... I'll give you a chance. I remember going on that hike with you and we saw a big coyote and that was pretty cool and just had a nice time. And then I felt more open and receptive to you. And I think that summer things started moving really quickly and we just had a lot of fun. I think it wasn't at least for a couple of weeks until I learned that you didn't actually even live in Boulder. <laughs> and I thought, what? <laughs> How can I do this? How can I make this work? Maybe I what came forward with the fact that I didn't actually live in Boulder a little earlier than that, and maybe selective hearing okay. allowed you <laughs> not to hear what you didn't want to hear. For me, I remember being particularly attracted to your just your drive to kind of go out and explore these beautiful places to the point where you had actually been just going on big, long hikes by yourself. I've done some mountaineering by myself, um, just not a whole lot, but every every time I do, it's such a spiritual encounter. And then kind of learning about you and learning that 
this was something that you frequently actually made time for was not just going in the mountains, but specifically making sure that you were by yourself so you could have those experiences. That to me kind of changed my perception on kind of who it was I was dealing with. And it was really very impressive. I think having that same appreciation for nature, for the wilderness, you just connect with someone in a different way. It's almost something you can't really describe. And that's a depth that I felt with you. With you, I I saw an opportunity to kind of share a passion for something, but not necessarily have to be in a situation where it felt competitive. What really stands out to me is, is musically when we connected for the first time, it was this really embarrassing thing for you, Alex, because you really kind of opened up on a way that you don't normally. It was really adorable for me to see your level of hesitance. And at the same time, what you were showing me was so impressive. You were such a talented musician, but at the same time, you had such a hesitance in terms of actually sharing your your art with someone. There was a modesty to it that was extremely attractive to me. I feel like one thing we can really share together beyond going out and doing hikes together or skiing, connecting through music and playing together. When we played that open mic in in Washington, just at that tiny little bar, which was so much fun, it wasn't great, but... It was something I could see happening again in the future that we could progress and learn more about each other and connect even deeper through music and creating music together and sharing that with other people. I think we naturally um, complement each other and I think our openness can really lend itself toward making some awesome music. Yeah, music is the place where we connect at more of a even playing field. Whereas as soon as we start getting into mountaineering and especially skiing, it really kind of turns into this lopsided position where it's kind of my realm. So there's like there's a balance because I love it that, you know, we share the interest in our in the sports. But at the same time, there's also a hesitance for me to completely involve you in, in what I do in the mountains entirely. Whereas with music, I don't have that. You know, there's, there's nothing that I won't explore with you musically because it's, it's more of a place that's, that's ours together as opposed to mine, you know, my, my world and exposing you to my world, especially when there's, a, there's an inherent level of danger involved in that. So when we actually decided to go to an open mic night Uh, That was a big step, Um, especially for me, because, you know, I play guitar uh, kind of acoustically, very quietly with myself, you know, and Alex, you are a fantastic singer and uh, you don't hold back when you sing. You're, you know, you're loud and you project because, you know, you're a trained artist. And I think for me, going to open mic night was a lot more uh, intimidating than it was for you, right? I got really excited. I was thinking, oh, we we have this opportunity to share something together with other people that we both truly love. And I remember feeling some butterflies walking over there, but it felt like such an accepting crowd. I just felt so at ease when you started playing and I could just look over at you because we were sort of across the room. And 
make eye contact with you. And all of a sudden, it felt like the rest of the room just disappeared. And I was very connected with you in that moment. And my nerves just went away. It was amazing. We didn't sound the best we could have sounded, but I felt that was almost the best part because it was very genuine. It felt like we were in sync in that way. I had a very different experience with it because <laughs> for me, it was in in incredibly intimidating. And the audience, as opposed to being like very non-judgmental, this was actually an audience full of people that I had known for years that, you know, probably had no idea that I even attempted to play guitar. And now I was kind of opening myself up to them and, and their experience of, of who I was. And at the same time, introducing a new person to the community. And I just felt this big pressure to kind of at least pull off a certain level of performance. Everything went kind of silent and my fingers didn't really do what they were supposed to. And But I do feel like that above a lot of other things is something that I look back and can think about as this kind of landmark in our relationship of doing something together. I feel like you're such a perfectionist and other areas of your life. I mean, you've, you have been with skiing. I feel like you are with your artistry, with woodworking and carpentry. Music allows us to be on this level playing field where we can grow into that together. And I think you not being perfect that night was, was awesome. For me, it made me feel more like a normal human being (laughs) because I think sometimes being around you, it's, it's hard. And maybe if there's something that I'm better than you at or something that we're both the same, (laughs) it just feels, it feels nice. I don't feel like I'm particularly talented musician. 30 minutes a day. That's our goal to practice music together every day for half an hour. Our start day for music every day is when we're living together, which maybe is more of a fantasy than a reality because I know you're still going to be traveling. I'm much more committed to routine than I've ever been in my life before. I'm, I'm feeling a real um, desire for some kind of semblance of some day-to-day kind of habits. What I'm talking about is, you know, is positive, healthy, productive habits that hopefully allow us to kind of continue to explore how we can share time together. Zach is a professional skier and also a tiny house builder. He's on the road more than he's actually home. And early on in their dating, Alex was laid off from her job and took the opportunity to start her own business, which was a long-time dream of hers. This gave her the flexibility to go on the road with Zach. That, without question, is the one move that really allowed our relationship to to continue to grow. It was 100% about my schedule and how we were going to balance a relationship with someone like myself who's traveling nearly constantly. That was the first um, real sacrifice that happened within our relationship. And I know you say, oh, this is something that I wanted to do anyways, but I also, I definitely mark it down as, as a sacrifice on your part. I'm glad you recognize that because it has been in many ways a sacrifice. 
um, especially after I really established my friend group here and my, I call them my lady tribe. I'm used to seeing a friend for dinner or maybe going to a show or happy hour, coming home, cooking dinner for myself, you know, going on hikes, going to yoga, just really taking care of myself and having a healthy balance. And when I would travel to go see you, I felt suddenly very imbalanced and a little bit isolated at, you know, working from hotel lobbies or hotel rooms. And then we would hang out at night when you would come back from the job site and it just turned into like a party fest half the time with the rest of the crew. And it felt like the pendulum was from one side here in Boulder where I felt balanced, swinging all the way over to an extreme imbalance. But it was trying to find that middle ground and trying to create that space and those boundaries for myself to feel balanced. But it's been a challenge. When you're traveling, it's kind of like everything's out the window. And I definitely feel that has been a piece where you know, having you rearrange your life so you can kind of spend time with me out on the road has been more of a sacrifice because it's not just about, oh, let's go have fun traveling. It's really you getting taken out of not just your comfort zone, but the the routine that you've established to become as healthy and happy as you are. And that health and happiness is something that's extremely attractive about you. And I don't want you to lose that. Now, if we're going to move in together, you're going to be moving to to a city that you're really not very familiar with, and you're going to be leaving a big friend network behind. And I don't think that you're going to lose your friends, but the most worrisome thing for me is is finding a way to to strike a balance so it doesn't just feel to you like you're the one constantly giving. I was going to have to move no matter what. My lease was coming up. So whether I found a new living situation in Boulder or elsewhere, I wanted to have that experience with you. It felt really important to me after coming up on two years of being together that we make that step. And the reality is that you're still going to travel. You're still going to be doing your thing. But I am thinking in my head, well, maybe (laughs) maybe I'm putting too much pressure on this because to me, it's felt like such an important step. And for you, I think you've been thinking about it a lot differently. I do see it as an important step. For me, I'm kind of wondering, all right, we're going to move in together, but my life still is going to be very um, random. And so it's really hard for me to predict, okay, how much time am I actually going to be, you know, there with you? I'm looking for that um, that experience that you have when you're when you're at your house and you're taking care of yourself and you're you're maintaining all the things you need to professionally, but at the same time you're carving time for yourself. I know that by teaming up with you and and actually forming a a house together, that it puts me in a great position to have that um, that kind of philosophy and that that lifestyle rub off on me. I'm really inspired by the way that you live your life and and the the focus you have on health. You know, I'm I'm looking to kind of gain from this process of moving in together on on how to balance the the personal health as well as the professional life. It's it's really a beautiful thing. And 
I want to share that with you, and I want us to form. I call it, I call it your goddess routine. I know. It's Alex's know. goddess routine. She goes home. She just takes care of herself and goes on runs and goes for yoga. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm inspired by that. That idea of home, you know, for me is, is a place where I can do those things. It's our space together. There's that energy there. It's about creating that progression within our relationship. You know, how, how do we interact when, we're, when we are in a routine trying to live our lives in parallel? Yeah, I and think, I think we're... It's, a, it's, a, it's a little scary. Like, I don't know. It's been so nice up until this point. That might ruin some stuff, but I, I think it's, it's an important step. It's kept us step. in the honeymoon phase for two years, which is great. <laughs> Maybe part of me worries that'll end. I know it'll end someday. Maybe not. Last night, I expressed some slight fears of feeling that when we are together, it's this immersion where we're always together because it feels like vacation mode. We don't always get to be together. And I find myself just wanting to spend all my time with you. I need to step back from that and say, no, I need to continue to have my autonomy. You know, if you need your own space at any moment, you don't have to worry about me feeling like I'm getting deserted or something like that because there's always stuff that I'm I'm happy to work on on my own. What does scare me is how we balance if you are going to move into a, a space where I've lived for a long time. I have a lot of friends in that area. My family's in that area. Even if we're going to move into a home that's together, it's still you kind of moving into my zone. My biggest fear is how that's going to feel to you. And then the other fear that I kind of have on that level is that we haven't really gone through as a couple when things really get difficult and how we respond to that, whether we we come together to get through it or whether or not we kind of kind of separate, I think is going to be a interesting test. And I just know that there's no way things can be maintained being as easy and problem-free as, as we've experienced in the last two years. Most couples experience that day-to-day first, and then maybe they have opportunities to travel together where we're doing it flipped. And I think it'll be exciting learning these little nuances about one another. I think we talk really well together. We have that trust. Even if it's something difficult, I feel like I can come to you and you're going to listen to me and we'll talk about it. I feel like you have that trust in me where you can tell me anything and I'm not going to judge you. I'm not, you know, I want to be here for you. One thing my my family has judged me on my whole dating life has been that I give up too much for whoever it is that I'm dating. And I lose a lot of my independence. I certainly wasn't always choosing the healthiest relationships. You know, I definitely was that way and it took really getting my heart broken, to really feel like standing on your own two feet emotionally more than anything is the most important thing you can do to having a successful relationship. You're listening to Alex and Zach as they discuss their fears around moving in together. The goddess routine really came from a lot of pain and trying to heal myself. I had given up so much to be with other people that were actually undeserving of that sacrifice. 
And I did go through a huge internal shift and I found happiness from within myself. I did a lot of just personal transformation. That's also why when I met you, I was just coming out of this chrysalis of kind of finishing that process and feeling like I could open up to the world again. I had spent really my entire adult life in one relationship. You know, I never had that kind of period of my life where I felt like, okay, I'm I'm independent. I went out of my way to build in a certain amount of distance because I was concerned about getting caught up in the next big relationship. And so I think both of us were kind of at that place. It really was, I think, timing for me of meeting you, recognizing, wow, this is someone that I really think is is special in terms of all these different qualities that I really find compatible with my own life. And then also seeing you as this person that had so much personal discipline. I really saw it as something that if I could harness some of that in my own life, it would really benefit me. And so now I'm already kind of have this hesitation, even though I think we can make a beautiful life together. At the same time, I'm almost feeling like it might not be the best idea to have you move into my world completely I mean, like that. But it feels different to me because I went through this process of understanding, no, I do need to have autonomy. I need to have this independence. I need to have my own life in order for anything else to truly be healthy. That's where the difference is this time around. Are you already concerned about it working out? I think there's natural, not necessarily hesitations, but fears of, can I keep my promises I've made to myself? You know, I have a lot of work to do to make this work. I think not only for myself, but for both of us of having that healthy independence where we're both strong independently. It's not just me getting sucked into your world. I can't help but having a bit of fear and anxiety that you're going to be overwhelmed with kind of how much you feel like has been swept out from underneath you. Before we actually go through with getting married, I feel like it's a really wise idea to at least try to live together, you know, as a real unit and try to make our lives parallel. We've been living in this like kind of beautiful la-la land existence. At the same time, I also almost feel like we need to go through something together. Like I almost want something that's gonna be hard to come into our lives so that we can just try practice working through it. We haven't even had a legit fight. <laughs> Both of us are pretty peaceful people, so we're not going to yell at each other. I would never see us yelling at each other. We both have a tendency to be passive and not really express what we're feeling. I can say there have been times where I've been upset and I haven't told you about it because I it was something I wanted to have face to face. And then a week or two would pass where I would actually see you and I had gotten over it. When we do live together, maybe we will fight because, you know, if something's happening in the moment, you're going to be there. But, you know, 
you saying you think we should go through struggle before we think about getting married. To what degree is this struggle? Because so it's almost <laughs> like we need to, yeah, like Problems manufacture that <laughs> um, so that when we do come to one of these larger life challenges, we already have some experience in that process. You're way more fixated on this creating issues thing than I am. <laughs> I don't want to create an issue. <laughs> I want it to flow. And if we get to a hard place, I've gotten through so many hard places in my life. I've been very adaptable and resilient. And I feel like you're adaptable and resilient. Having those little moments where we did have some scares, we handled them really gracefully. And in my most upset state, you were so comforting and so positive and told me, no matter what, this doesn't change my love for you. That was really, really just reassuring. I felt so much closer to you for having gone through that experience mm -hmm. that almost felt life-changing and just very dramatic. Every, every couple should go through a number of moments that, that require them to practice on how to come together and deal with hardship. Before, you, before about... you actually go through with marriage, it's almost like this like checklist that I yeah. feel like people should go through before they get married because I'm someone that feels like marriage is is very much about having family. And once you involve children, at least in my mind, it means that you're involved whether you like it or not for the long haul. I don't wanna get into a, a relationship where I'm gonna have children with someone and then break up with them. And I just, it's not part of how I see the world. It's not even like an option necessarily. So no matter how miserable you would be, like divorce just wouldn't be an option? I wanna make sure that I'm, you know, that I've, I'm not just theoretically compatible with somebody, but that we've actually gone yeah. through some things to prove it to ourselves. Sure. And we've figured out a strategy of, of getting through stuff. Well, I feel like a wheelhouse where neither one of us are very comfortable is probably finances. And I think that if we honestly opened up our finances together and tried to work through some of that, we I think it'd be a pretty big slap in the face of, wow, we both suck at this. That could potentially cause some difficulty and challenge because I think both of our incomes tend to fluctuate and taxes for both of us are a little bit more complicated. And I see that being some tension potentially between us. Well, I guarantee that you should not count on me completely to be a financial provider because I just know myself very well. And I know that I am a risk taker. And I think for you to kind of be exposed to the person that typically is kind of broke, you know, and see if that was somebody that you still could could be compatible with would be interesting for me. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about it? I've never said, I want you to take care of me. And I I don't. Well, and... you wouldn't expect it, but that's certainly what I would do. <laughs> Last night, you kind of brought up this concept of, you know, what are your non-negotiables? Right now, the non-negotiable to me is 
is this notion of hardship and how we go about dealing with that hardship. When we come across something that's challenging, are we going to shut down and internalize it and go through the process of grief and the process of um, just working through things on our own? Or is this something that we're going to share between us? It won't work for me if it's something that we try to do internally, independently. It's It's got to be something that we share. You also have to understand that I'm going to be looking for the silver linings. That's a, a request that I would have of you is just to understanding that it's so important to me that we share we share grief and we share hardship. And at the same time, for you to recognize that this person that you're getting involved with is going to be an eternal optimist. You've shown that many times already, your grand optimism and your silver linings. And sometimes it's frustrating. My non-negotiable is, you know, I think you've kind of put me on a bit of a pedestal, which is not really a terrible thing, but it's not, it's also not reality. And I don't, I'm not saying you see me as a perfect person, but I want you to feel like you can call me out on things. Tell me if you think I'm making a bad choice. Never, I've never had sisters. The way I grew up, it was, I mean, girls were kind of off limit to criticism. It was like, boys are fair game, girls are just, they're all perfect. You know, when you're insulated from that, I think you end up treating women differently for good or for for bad, but I'll, I'll work on that. I'll work on being a little bit more critical of the things you do. <laughs> I'm not asking you to criticize me, but I think I am asking you to be open to, you know, me making wrong choices sometimes and whether it's something that would affect us together or not, that you feel like I can be a close friend to you and we can have maybe awkward conversations and not make them awkward. You can come to me really with anything. And so I hope you do that because I feel like sometimes, you know, you are a little passive and you're not, you're not oh, really I'm, directive. I'm highly passive. <laughs> so That's something I absolutely You're not allowed know. to be passive-aggressive with me. <laughs> I'm not really passive-aggressive. I'm kind of passive-passive <laughs> to the point yeah. where then after a while I just give up. Well, so I, it's, it's a little different because I never get to the aggressive point, but yeah. I do something that's probably even worse, which is I just distance and distance and then give up. Yeah, that's definitely not healthy. So let's work on that. If you ever feel like there's a distance that starts to take place, a hug really changes that. As we approach certain milestones in a relationship, there's always a bit of fear. And it's a natural fear because there's an unknown, there's a next step. What will happen when we move in together? What will it be like to be married? How will we do when we have a newborn, raising kids together? These are universal fears, universal questions. And Alex and Zach share theirs so openly, so honestly, with so much transparency. Since we taped that conversation, Alex and Zach are now engaged and happily settling into their life together in their new home. Michael and Robin were featured as a couple in episode eight, and you may recall their conversation. It was a story of losing a child, of ending their first marriage to each other, 
and beginning the second, also to each other. In their professional lives, Michael and Robin counsel couples. They help them get off the fence about their relationship. They give couples tools that, if practiced, can keep a relationship healthy and resilient through tough times. How would you describe what you do, who you are professionally, and what you do? I think at the core of what we do is practical tools that we use ourselves, and that we continue to refine and hone our relationship using the material that we're sharing with other people. You're like your own little lab. It's because we needed it. <laughs> I introduce us as couples educators. And I also have a private practice as a couples counselor. Um, but my passion is really about giving couples the tools and the skills that can foster that connection, that sense of intimacy, that they're skills and tools that can be learned and intimacy can be deeply cultivated or restored even when people feel that they've lost all hope. We teach seminars for couples together as a couple. And so that's why we, <laughs> we need the work as much as anybody. Even after 22 years of teaching, we always have material to work on. When does a disagreement or a dynamic between the two of you transition to becoming teachable material. In modeling uh, the tools, we use whatever is most relevant for us at the moment, whatever is hottest or least resolved. Uh, we just think, what is that right now? And there's always something. We just decide who's going to be the speaker and who's going to be the listener. And we don't often don't know what they're going to bring up. Okay. So In front of your couples? Yeah. Wow. People always say that was the most valuable part for them. Watching well, us work through a uh, conflict. Not just talking about it, but actually working through we it work in the moment. In the moment. Yeah. And we we have very structured tools. It's just the speaker has a series of sentence stems, you know, so it really like contains sentence starters. It. Yeah. And it takes you through the whole arc of identifying what's troubling you, how it's impacting you, what emotional allergy you may have that's informing this, what you really want to need instead, how this would help, you know, in a specific request for change. So it kind of goes through, it's called the empathy spiral. But the first step is really creating that connection, that empathy, that compassion yes. for the other person's experience. And for, for many people, I think that's not immediately comprehensible to them that you could even sit down feeling really alienated or distant from your partner and in 20 minutes end up feeling a lot of empathy for them, mm. even mm. while potentially still feeling differently about the topic. And then they're willing to take on a really significant issue and work through it in the workshop. Is there anything you guys can't help couples with? I mean, yeah, I was going to say uh, lack of goodwill. That's the only showstopper mm. in my mind. I mean, people have to be willing to bring an open mind. How do you define goodwill? It means you're actually there uh, for the purpose of improving your relationship. And you may not have faith that that can happen, 
That doesn't even matter. So you don't have to believe that it's going to get better. You just have to want it to get better. You know, people have often asked me about saving marriages. And and my response is always, that's never been a business that I thought I was in. We don't have it that couples staying together is the end point, like the objective in every case. For us, it's about people getting off the fence, getting real about their relationship. So either you're in or you're out and choose, but don't spend 20 years ambivalent about your relationship. To to me, that's the tragedy. And so do you experience that a bunch with couples? They're like kind of in, kind of out. They're not really committed to one another. They're th- talking about, they're frustrated, but they're not leaving. Oh, that's all over the place in my experience. There's uh, a lot of that. Yes. You know, hedging your bets one way or another, or just kind of having whole areas of chronic unhappiness. Mm. Or avoiding. Yeah. Especially when couples have children. And they get clear uh, that they're not going to stay together. To be able to give them the tools to be in a healthy, functioning relationship as parents. Because uh, they're going to have to co-parent for the rest of their lives. Exactly. So what do you notice in your work with couples? I believe that there's more personal growth, certainly for me, through in the path of, of staying married, staying committed, and there's a tremendous opportunity to keep growing as I address and work through all of the differences that this brings up. I don't have to work through those on my own. <laughs> I'm fine, you know, living with myself. But we have a lot of differences. And they say opposites attract, but, you know, similarities are the ones that get along. I am in favor of people making that journey if it's healthy for them. Uh, and sometimes it's not, or sometimes yeah. it's too late. Mm. Sometimes someone just doesn't have the heart or desire anymore. There's so the much goodwill hurt is or gone, pain. and it's just too much water under the bridge. Yeah. You're listening to Michael and Robin talk about how they counsel couples in crisis. I want your take on humor in relationships, a lightness, a playfulness in intimate partnationships. I think so, humor is essential. So let's say we're having a conversation, we're hanging out together, and all of a sudden, you know, Robin says something I find really annoying. And I respond in a way that she finds offensive. And then typically, rather than addressing what I found annoying, she's talking about my failure to communicate in an appropriate manner. And then we're off to the races, yeah. right? And it can happen fast. You know, we can move from really happy to like seriously annoyed with each other in 30 seconds. What happens then? Like, what happens next? What do next? you do then? So, we've invented something we call relationship performance art. So, how it works is we rewind to the moment when this scene started. And Robin describes to me what I would have said in that situation were I her perfect partner. And then I do the same for her. And then we replay the scene. Now, you don't have to actually mean it because sometimes you may (laughs) not, but you have to sell it. You have to like play the part 
with uh-huh. conviction. Uh-huh. And it's kind of like a whistle a happy tune. Often we find we're a little altered from playing the part, uh-huh. have a little different point of view. Yeah. It's a, a corrective experience, corrective too. It's great to hear experience. what I really wish you had said, yeah. rather than focus on what he did say that I didn't like, right? Uh-huh. Which is otherwise how I'll walk away with that and be grumbling in my mind, or I have a whole complaint I need to bring up with him later that's still unresolved, yeah. versus... I just immediately, here's what I needed to hear. And he said it, great. And it's yeah. just, it's just a, for things that aren't, don't really bear revisiting, <laughs> you know. One of the things we observe and have observed over years working with hundreds of couples is that in the context we provide for people, most folks are great listeners. They are able to set aside their own concerns and issues and really show up for their partner. And even if that's not something they've been doing, you give them an opportunity and encouragement to do that. And virtually everyone is really good at that. On the other hand, watching what people do when they're speaking in their own behalf, when they're asking for what they need, it's so inept and counterproductive most of the time. It, talking about humor, if you showed videotapes of most people asking for what they re- like, what really matters to them, and, and you ask yourself, is this perfectly designed not to turn out? I think 95% of the time you would say yes. So the way they're doing it is guaranteed to fail and not execute the very thing that they're trying to ask. Yeah, they you don't know, have hopelessness the right and despair, uh, and it's vague. And it's blaming and, you know, you listen to how people ask for what they want the most and you go, no one would want to do that. Like, yuck. So that's one of the most important things I think we model and do for people is, and it's an actual skill set to be able to ask for what really matters in a way that another human would want to respond. It feels kind of counterintuitive because the one they do well at is actually hearing and understanding the other person. And the one they often fail at is is speaking for themselves. Right. Yes. People do you call that words. skills of confiding? Yeah. And it, we do, and it is just giving people the words. Because, yeah, they're not going to rewire their brains to, under stress, say things in a way that's most effective. But what they can do under stress is pull out these series of sentence stems and finish the sentences. Mm. And it's guaranteed to turn out then Mm. because it gives them that container. In fact, what inevitably happens in that tool is towards the end of it, when people really have said what they need to say and really feel heard and received and understood, uh, invariably there's a piece of self-reflection of taking responsibility for my own part in this issue, that without really feeling heard and understood and experiencing empathy, I'm never going to get there. Uh If I go through these tools and share what I need from you, towards the end, Uh I'm going to do the very thing that I refused to do earlier, and that (laughs) is take responsibility for my my part. It's a natural impulse. It's just, it's predictable. When you get the empathy you crave, then you end up almost being empathetic towards yourself, which allows you to take responsibility. 
Yeah. Something happens there. Self-awareness, just to, you know, in the desire to connection, to connect uh, or feel more of that, uh, transparency happens in a different way. Mm-hmm. And gratitude. You know, at the yeah. end, it's what I, it comes to appreciation, yeah. what I realize about myself, what I regret about, you know, what I realize and about myself and what I appreciate about you and what I hope. What's it like for you guys to work together? Inevitably, uh, I have a sense of love for people, uh, you know, even in a in our short course, 24 hours. Um, yeah, it's the most rewarding work I've ever done. I'm just amazed when I watch that as they empty their jug. We have a tool called Emptying the Jug where they talk about all the things they're mad about, all the things they're scared about, all the things they're sad about. And then and glad about it. And then comes to glad. And that just it just rises to the surface uh-huh. so readily, so quickly. Sometimes it just doesn't take a lot. Mm. So it's very rewarding. And that's why I think we love doing it, besides it being good for us. I think we were saying on our walk this morning, if there's one thing that's the kind of pillar of what I'd want um, people to take with them from doing a workshop or even listening to this would be to develop a practice of appreciation, appreciating each other. It's so simple to do. We just tend to focus on the things that we're not happy about or we're not grateful for and we don't like. And there's so much good. You know, there's so much to appreciate just in sharing a life with another person. And, you know, what we focus on expands. It's not that we're not going to also deal with what we don't appreciate. That's important, too. We've got to reduce the pain, um, but really expand on the things that we love, are grateful for, appreciate. And, I mean, for me, it helps me to articulate those things, but it also helps my partner, and it helps me when he shares those Um we were walking up the hill and down sharing appreciations this morning, and it just changes the state. We all need to know, I think we're loved and valued and and appreciated, and to, to hear it regularly uh, is key. So one of the practices is to make sure we spend at least five minutes a day sharing those things and giving examples. It may be the character qualities, maybe the things you fell in love with, it may be the little caring behaviors, but every day there's new examples. And the more we look, the more there is. So it's interesting because it's almost first acknowledging that we're not wired to do that, that we're wired on some level mm-hmm. historically to see the Protect snake ourselves. as opposed to the stick. So if we acknowledge that, then we understand that the way out of that is to f- focus on the positive because what you focus on, where you put your energy, things will grow there. Mm-hmm. And you're saying in particular specifics help, mm-hmm. not just general. Mm-hmm. Huh. I remember um, a few years ago I was in New York and uh, took a break from being in the public library there and went over to this little coffee shop. And it was really, it was packed, really, really crowded. So I ended up 
sharing a little stand-up table with uh, a man who was like a second-generation immigrant. We kind of had a nice connection, and he mentioned that he was getting married. So he, I let him know that I did uh, couples education work. Yeah, and he said, well, okay, uh, give me one thing. If you got one thing, what is it? And of course, you know, a hundred things popped into my head. And I, I just looked at him and I said, okay, well, if you're serious about this, here it is. Every day for your life, for the rest of your life, spend at least five minutes giving concentrated and specific appreciation to each other. Five minutes a day, I promise you that will change the trajectory of your life. It'll create safety. It'll nourish and feed the partnership. I mean, how can someone not walk away from those five minutes and feel elevated? It changes your state uh, in just Even a few almost minutes. from a body chemical, you know, the oxytocin might get released. You know, we want people to do it so they're looking at each other and, mm. and holding hands, you know, in physical contact. Because um, it just kind of goes in much more deeply. We work with a lot of people where they travel for work or deployed or, you know, they can even do it through texting, through email, through FaceTime. Like what it really does matter. It keeps that connection in place. Mm. Um, you can do it long distance too. Then. You've inspired me. I'm going to uh, sit down with Jenny later today and do that. I've, I've realized, you know, with our two kids, with our life, we're moving fast. We're tired as hell at the end of the day. We're busy as hell in the morning. Like, you forget that. I forget that. You can do it with the kids, too, over breakfast or dinner. And and then it's fun. You you, all, you go around and each person says one thing they appreciate about, about dad. And everyone says something appreciate about mom and uh. each of the kids. And... Uh, it's great for larger family gatherings too, but it's a daily practice for the family. Everyone yeah. benefits. I have a kind of a black and white question for you and boiling it down to this maybe isn't fair, but what do you think is more of a challenge for couples loving or being loved? I think it's different for different people. Huh. I think I, I think I think people tend to trend one way or another as their default mode. Mm. Uh, we uh, often use it doing exercise with people where we uh, have them hold their palm up in front of each other's chest and get in touch with the sense of connection, and then have them do that with themselves, and then do both at the same time. And uh, inevitably, that just feels good. That's a good feeling. Mm. And then we ask them to imagine in a state of conflict where there's just, a, it feels like there's an irreconcilable tension between you and me and what we need and want. What typically happens is one of those hands falls away. So I either tend to lose my connection to you and leave or or I, I lose my connection to myself and then uh, I just want to placate you and, you know, all my attention's on you. And of course, ironically, in both cases, I have it that the solution to the problem is you. <laughs> if only you would change. If only you would change, everything would be okay. That's, that's pretty much where 
we start, and then that quickly shifts. But, but that only happens when we have a sense that first you're able to really hear and understand, um, but then people can get back to my responsibility in the matter and what I can do. That's the good news and the bad news is it's not about your partner. <laughs> you have much more power here than you realize. We're it's, all playing yeah, the victim funny. card. Sometimes in other words. both people are saying the other person is the one who's got all the power and the other one's going, oh, it's all them. And I'm like, somebody has the power here. You're both thinking it's the other person. Both uh -huh. people feel like a victim. You know, I think many of us were, we think our own problems are unique and we're particularly messed up, and there's something like, you know, that needs to be sort of kept hidden and secret because it's particularly unsavory or... If only people knew. Yeah, and so kind <laughs> when of... in fact, it's like we're all in this together. We're just, all in this together. And Is that what thing. you found when one person changes often it's enough disruptive exactly. kind of dynamic to then it creates a change in the partnership. Absolutely, yeah. Well, we'll have some kind of interaction where it's predictable that it's going to kind of go. You know the, how this story ends. Yeah, and, and then, you know, she'll just choose a different tact. It's like an Aikido move. You know, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of ramping up for my standard reaction. You know, we're doing our little routine and all of a sudden, there's no opposition over there. Yeah, and it's a little disorienting. And I also feel um, challenged to up my game. Uh, it's like, whoa, okay. Huh, huh. So it, it's, it calls you, in a way, to a, a higher level of interaction, to a higher level of accountability to yourself and to the partnership. Yeah. Either person can change that. And we help people kind of map their, their what we call their emotional allergy loop, their series of reactions, uh, and then develop all these exit ramps. You know, uh, all these things I can do, two or three things I can do to interrupt it, and two or three things you can do to interrupt it, and any of them will stop it. And then we can have a do-over, do what we really want instead. So, and for most couples, there is kind of a basic loop that they play out <laughs> yeah. in different, you know, in the kitchen, in the yeah. bedroom, yeah. with the kids. But it has a, each of those locations has kind of a familiar standard story or yeah. ending or... Way in which we disappoint each other or, you know, whatever. Recreate our... our core hurts and right. protect ourselves. And yeah. yeah, we can dismantle that really quickly. What's important? What do we not want to miss? You can get a lot of movement in a short amount of time. Uh -huh. uh, now, they're still sustaining that. That's the long-term work. But a little bit of work can go a long way. Can go a really In a very short way. amount of time. Yes. And that, I'm imagining that when you say that, Michael, People may not believe you, like, oh, God, the problems are so big here, it's going to take. And your experience is actually no. Well, and like we said, they don't need to believe it. They just need to show up. Listening to Michael and Robin, I was surprised to hear that most people are better at listening to each other than at asking and speaking about their own needs to be met. Certainly, it points to our natural inclination to look outward. I've often said as a couples therapist, 
Hey guys, you're becoming experts on each other. And the goal here is to know thyself, know more about what's happening inside you. And we aren't taught that. We aren't modeled that in our society. It's actually considered selfish to go inward and connect with our own needs. Here's to rewriting that story and rewriting what that means. So as Michael and Robin say, we can know what we want, ask for what we want, and give our partner a chance to meet that need, thus creating intimacy and connection. Thank you to Alex and Zach and Michael and Robin for participating with us today. For additional information, for resources on this episode, find our show notes at elephanttalk.org. Elephant Talk is produced by Kim Paletti. Our theme music is by Rob Berger. Audio production assistance provided by Leslie Gaston Bird and Josh Kern. Please review the show in iTunes, your feedback is greatly appreciated. Join the conversation and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Andy Horning. This is Real Love. This is Elephant Talk. <laughs>